This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, we'll buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turn to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art in history, music, and gaming by exploring just that, the evolution that is video game music. To hash it out, I am, of course, joined by one of our executive, exclusive, senior contributors. That's right, the super NDP brother, our legend in arms, Mr. Theodore Buck. Buck, welcome. Did you call me the Nocturne of Shadow? <laughs> the Nocturne of Shadow? Ooh. That was one of That's the good. Ocarina of Time. Oh, little, yes. Little songs. Yeah. I uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about in those uh, beloved franchises, because as, as I was going through my homework, oh, my God, there's just so much rich video game. Too many. And yeah, there's too many. So uh, <laughs> fair warning, everyone. Uh, we're going to go. We're not gonna get through there's everything. a there's a lot of information. We're going to have to go a little uh, a little fast through things. Called lightning round with us. Yes. Oh, yeah. Let's call it the lightning. round. We're, we're, we're going to. <laughs> What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to hold a Vulcan minigun at your face and just blast you. You can take that however you want it. Uh, uh, yes, because um, it's important to talk about this subject because video game music, uh, I'll probably just refer to it as VGM for short, though, though, sounds music, so cool when you say that VGM, VGM, it's VGM. Um, it's important because it's 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 very much its own thing. Right, Buck. It's it's mm-hmm. become its own medium, its own artistic oh, yeah. medium, and we have to explore that. And it's the best way to do that is just take the history from top to bottom. But of course, before we do that, all of you beautiful people need a little background. In its most simple, simple definition, VGM is the literal soundtrack that accompanies video games, obviously. Initially in the birth of the form and industry, music was, of course, limited in scope and capabilities. And the music within, of course, was contained with 
what is known as programmable sound generator chips. And that created that very unique 8-bit game sound that we um, that a lot of us people in the 30s and 40s, uh, early 40s grew up with. And Chip that tune. actually, that's exactly right. That was what, that's what I was going to say. Um, they finally gave it a name. That, draw, that genre for that sound is called chip tune. So remember that, folks, because we're going to touch on that repeatedly. We're going to come back to it, and we are going to explore the history that was created in the birth of the video game industry with chiptune and how it's evolved to this day. Most video game music was and has been uh, essentially digital in origin, meaning a specific computer chip would change the electrical impulses from computer code into analog sound waves and create the music or the sound effects, depending on the game. Now, uh, let's talk about the very basic features that was in the birth of the video game music industry, and those included these things. Pieces were designed to repeat indefinitely, right, mm -hmm. through a level, rather than having an arranged beginning, middle, and ending, ending or fade out. Pieces, of course, were lacking lyrics and would always play over gameplay. And this, they, they of course, within this context, had what is called limited polyphony so what that means is they only had a very limited amount of notes to work from they didn't have an entire yeah. keyboard or things like that so there for, for instance um in the nintendo entertainment system there was only three notes that could be played simultaneously so that's one chord at a time instead of also an issue with like synthesize early synthesizers and things like that yeah where you can only and still to this day some there's some of them out there where you can only play so many notes right and that what's what's great about this as an art is there was an art to that right what they had mm -hmm. to do was create the illusion of more notes being played at once and yeah. they did that with a lot of different uh engineering techniques and so essentially to sum it up video game music is unique because it not only sets tone and has a backdrop to play the game with literal music to enjoy as you're playing the game but as it evolved it helped to direct play right mm -hmm. it became dynamic it interacted with the player and it changed the medium forever and that's what really makes it stand apart oh yeah in in that yeah like you're saying it's it, it, we've been talking about this theme be creative within your restrictions and that's really where this all came because you, you think about some of these songs and th let's be honest some of the earlier stuff it's not great it's just something i, I, I don't play know in the background I think well, some of the best is those original 8-bit and 16-bit um, pieces. It depends on the thing. Think so, about Super Mario Brothers. Well, World 1-1. I, one, one, I mean, or the yes, underground theme. And I would even go to Super Mario 3, which I think... What, oh, my God. This they, discussion. they killed it. That um that end theme, once you beat it, it still kind of makes me feel... It makes me feel incredibly sad. It make, makes sad. you feel like a boy again? Like a little No, lad. well, yeah, but it's like when you play that game, it's like, oh, it has this like sweet little da 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 da. Yeah. Da, da. And then it there goes was a lot of the... emotion with the little music that they could create, but you, it was, it translated well. Yeah, but then the end credits where they go through the different levels that you played through, that song that plays in the background, it's like this kind of like Calypso kind of sweet kind of ukulele kind of uh, music, but it's got this kind of, it's got this uh, minor tone change through it and it kind of makes it kind of feel sad because it's like yeah you, you've played this game you've had so much fun and now you're at the end it's like now we're you know, it's over it's over and when i was a yeah. kid that would just 
that would make me incredibly sad, like <laughs> just listening to that. And I and I listened to a cover of it that a guy did for um, a shout out to video game historian. Um, ah, uh, yeah, great show. What what a what a excellent pre gym gym of the week is. Yeah, is yeah. That guy. I, check out that guy. He's from Kansas City, I think. Um, okay, actually. Oh, I yeah, know. I don't I don't want to give up, but he always he always like I've always seen him with Royals and stuff. So maybe he's not from there, but I thought he was from the area. But he does some really great documentaries. And he had a guy that basically when he did a Super Mario three show, he, he had the guy re-record all the music using like pan oh, flutes wow. and, and stuff like that. And really, that's kind of a preview for my gym <laughs> of the week there. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it, it brought a tear to my eye. Uh, when I well, I uh, I have good news. I I know what will uh, not bring a tear to your eye to to liven you up to make you happy, and that is of course our sponsor. This episode Ooh, is brought yes. to you by the Entropy Sessions, a tale of loss, love, and madness, and our past, present, and future relationships with technology. Find it on Amazon and as an audiobook through Audible. Your support, of course, helps us continue our journey. Now back to the show. So, of course, Buck, we got to take this from top to bottom. Like I said, we have so much time. There's just so much time of the day, so we have to fly through this. Uh, a quick, um, a quick disclaimer to everyone listening. I am going to be talking about generations, you know, first generation, second generation. And most people know those terms based on home console market. So this is not the home console market generations. This is generations based on the video game history that I myself created. And I arguably would say it started with the 8-bit era. So that's going to be the first generation. But it's really, that's like technically the second or third of the home yeah, there market. Yeah, there were definitely... Um... Oh, and we can't forget arcade, you know, home board. Well, stuff, and we're yeah. going to talk about that. So so let's dive right in, because the first generation of v- VGM, which I actually did put it in my notes, was the third generation of home consoles. This is the 8-bit days, both mm-hmm. arcade cabinets and things like the Nintendo Entertainment Atari. System, stuff like that. So uh, Atari, yeah, Atari 2600 home system was capable of generating only two tones at a time. That's where we're going to start with our mm-hmm. history lesson. The first game was the first game to use a continuous background soundtrack was Space Invaders, released in 1978. The first game to feature continuous melodic background music, though, was a game called Rally X, released Ooh. in 1980. But of course, these um, we eventually saw the evolution of this immediately. The advances were seen almost right away. The earliest known example of this evolution was, was Sega's 1980 arcade game Carnival. And then in 1981, we had everyone's classic favorite, Frogger. And this used 11 different tracks, which I know is not a lot to you guys listening right now. But back in the day, this was fucking huge. Mm-hmm. This, of course, led to improvements at, uh, that we saw in Dig Dug in 1982, uh, where the music would even for the first time stop when the player stopped. You know, we didn't see that until a lot of these early advancements. And this, of course, led to the the gaming system that is near and dear to our heart, the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment system so uh we're course with every generation we're going to talk about notable standouts i'm going to go through them fast and we'll probably get a pick a couple that me and buck are going to discuss notable standouts include pac-man of course space invaders tetris super mario brothers one two and three the legend of zelda fucking ducktales Mega Man, Castlevania, Ooh. Final Fantasy, and one I forgot until I was actually listening to these pieces for my homework, and that is Contra. 
jungle theme. I'm shocked. What? What? Because that's your jam. We would play that in college. Oh, yeah. I love me some Contra. Yeah. For some reason, I just forgot about that. And, um, but I was listening, you know, Spotify has fucking everything on the planet. So yeah. uh, there's playlists dedicated to this that you can hear little excerpts of themes to these to this to this music and then so i did that first and then what i did today as i was driving uh, in my car my commutes for work i listened to the um symphonic concert versions full orchestras doing these pieces oh yeah and it is fucking oh man that's actually a good segue to talk about the legend of zelda so this piece the theme to legend of zelda is so epic in the in their use of music theory there even though they had very few notes being played with their limited capabilities uh when it was actually rearranged with the full orchestra it's so powerful oh yeah it's so incredible you talk about a video game franchise that's famous for orchestral, yeah, or, these yeah, like yeah. just these recompositions, huge melodic pieces, um, right? And the songs, you know, it, and it's so funny. Even if you go to the, their last entry, Breath of the Wild, they're still using the um, the DNA from the that original NES game. Oh yeah, I mean all the songs like the Fairies Fountain and things like that. We have to like, say his name. You know, there's a lot that we really need to uh, tell you guys the who the composer is. This is Koji Kondo. So he did super, he, he's like he's a, a genius god. and he's, yeah, yeah, he's like, he's like a living legend. He's still, he's still working for Nintendo to this day and he's still, he's more of, takes a supervisor role than a, than yeah. a complete composer role. Uh, and there's pictures of him just on these circuit boards and these little mini keyboards kind of thing for its time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he did the Super Mario Brothers theme. He did the Legend of Zelda's theme and it's probably some of your favorite themes throughout Nintendo's history. So that's probably, of course, uh, before we move on to the second generation, 16 bit day, the 16 bit uh, days of video game consoles. Um, we have to talk about that Super Mario Brothers theme that dun dun dun. I've seen so I I probably always or for this episode I'm gonna probably lean on a lot of Super Mario music just because I've studied it the most and it's probably the most famous and here's the thing about that um what I have to touch on is uh, music theory wise why it's so catchy and turns into this like earworm is uh most famously because of the rhythm you would think it was because of the melodic lines and the theory that's used in and some of their uh major modes and things like that it's not it's actually the rhythm that makes it so catchy and bouncy and punchy um because there, it was played i saw this like you you know there's a million youtube channels you can anybody can youtube it and find a better show on just dissecting the audio itself and it um if it's laid flat it's of course it's going to be boring if it's just on quarter note phrases but when you bring in those weird eighth note 16 note phrases and syncopated notes it creates this bouncy rhythm that is a perfect cyclical piece for video game music it's still to to me it's it's so amazing especially when we get to the next section with 16 bit oh, just oh, what excited. they did and and i think you know which game i'm talking about because it changed i mean what the guy had to do to get it to work what he did but i mean I, uh, i'm gonna guess since a donkey kong country yeah 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 Okay, before we move on, uh, that's a perfect segue to move on. Let's give a little more love to the other composers. Uh, Koji Sugayama for Dragon Quest, Nobu Yumatsu for Final Fantasy. We're going to probably talk about uh, Yumatsu a lot in this episode, Final Fantasy 
has had just an incredible history of of themes and just incredible work throughout the years. Uh, Rob Hubbard, um, Mani on the Run, International Karate. Of course, we already talked about Koji Kondo. Um, Mika Higashino, uh, that's Gradius, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Are, are we talking about the movie, the arcade game, or the, the original? Game. I don't okay. I don't know. I, I, I didn't do enough homework. <laughs> okay. Because they're like two... Yeah, yeah, very yeah, two, two, diff- different two different worlds. Very, yeah. very different games. One is incredibly hard. Yes. Oh, well, we don't have to talk about... Yeah, yeah. We're, let's focus on yeah. the music. Hiroshi uh, yeah. Kawaguchi, uh, Hirokazu Tanaka, that's Metroid, Ki- Kid Icarus, Earthbound, Martin Galway, and uh, there's, of course, I know we're probably missing some people out there. Please tweet at us, email us, and tell us yeah, your favorites kind of a thing. So let's move on to the second generation. This is 16-bit era day, so the Super Nintendo gen- Genesis, and we're seeing an evolution right away in digital synthesis and, most importantly, sampling. Digital mm-hmm. to analog converters produced sample tones instead of a tone generator. Frequency modulation synthesis was also... Uh, evolving at this time. We saw some of the first synth boards ever uh, for this market and medium, and it has evolved ever since then. Uh, and uh, let's let's give the floor back to Book because he already said Donkey Kong Country. Tell the good people what David Weiss did to make one, well, of, my, I, one of my favorite <laughs> tracks of all time, Aquatic Ambience. Like, I still put that on just to relax. Oh, yeah, that's probably the most famous, like, yeah, definitely song from that. And, and folks, there are entire videos on YouTube explaining much better than us. We're just talking we about the history. Do. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, a not only was this probably the apex of uh, graphics for that generation yeah. of consoles, it also rare the studio. They had to basically I want to say che- another video game term. They had to cheese the system a little bit. <laughs> um they basically why Why did they have to cheese well there were there were certain limitations still with the musical uh, capabilities of uh the 16-bit super nintendo so basically the guy had to go in and just vert from a very high level basically had to go in and kind of tap into other chips or boards or different technologies in the system to create the music incredibly meticulous right this took like so long hours upon hours because it wasn't just like something where you could go in and just type in a note he had to actually program it out so he had to design the piece he probably wrote it out and then the coding was its its own meticulous process yeah and i can't remember how many different characters he had to use for it but it was like it's ridiculous i i've actually seen a video on this i forgot what it was uh, some youtube uh video essay and it was they explained it very well and it was it was incredibly meticulous crazy to think how it was done and what we got from it yeah you would think that we wouldn't have got such a the closest thing to it sounding like a piece kind of recorded in a studio yeah um but and maybe that's what we should clarify is what the difference was this of this was it it sounded like real real recorded music exactly sound video gamey at the right. time like it the sounded like Mega Man. synthesizers yeah. and like because they were basically pushing the limits of the technology at the time yeah i can in hear a way, it in my head right now just like with the graphic i mean the graphics were amazing and rare did a lot of really revolutionary we're things killing it back then yeah um they made some great music for another game we'll talk about in the next generation but 
yeah it was just basically it you know you could really tell it was like a sea change it did not that music created an atmosphere that made it feel separate from its predecessors and part of that reason is because we got more channels more tracks to make more, the music yep. on so exactly. uh, we saw um on average we'd see eight channels up to 16-bit resolution obviously because of the uh, the gaming consoles um, hardware capabilities with also DSP effects and full stereo sound. So this mm-hmm. this what what could be created from this is what's called applied acoustics, such as musical, environmental, and uh, architectural type of sounds. Yep. Um, other notable composers of this time was Yuzo Kishihiro. Dragon Slayer, Wise, Shinobi, Actraiser, Streets of Rage, the Wise series. Is, it, is that what it's called? Is it just Wise or Ease I think it's or? just Wise. Yeah. This is uh, considered some of the best work of all time. Um, uh, alongside uh, Miko Ishikawa from Dragon Slayer and Helped with Wise and Ryu mm-hmm. Yumamoto. Notable standouts. To me, as a kid, this was the very first time I really, one, noticed the music over the gameplay and fell in love with the music. And that, of course, is Super Metroid, my favorite game of all time. That's been a gem of the week in our other gaming episode. Um, Super Mario World, um, Donkey Kong Country, as we've already um, noted. Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, Street Fighter 2, and of course, Sonic. Any ones that uh, stand out? Any other ones that really screamed at you, Buck? Yeah, I think you hit hit most of the the, the main the main, ones, yeah. the main big big names in there. I mean, there's so many. I mean, this was a great time for gaming just in general. Yeah. Um, this was the Bit Wars era. Oh and yeah. And you got it from both systems. I mean, kind of the beginning. You know, we saw that again yeah. with uh, Nintendo 64, PlayStation, things like that. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get there. With Xbox and PlayStation. What will probably surprise you is that you're going to, you and probably everybody listening is going to assume that the third generation is straight into Nintendo 64 and PlayStation in that era. I actually gave a little love. I'm going to give the third generation really the 32-bit. Um, that is the it's I, when I was doing the homework for this episode, the research, I feel like this is the lost years of the home console market because this was the years of the 3DO, the Atari Jaguar, the Sega Saturn. Like they like they were they were on the right path, but the execution wasn't there. Well, what, what we should probably mention what sea change uh, medium was that these were utilizing or some of them were. Well, there were uh, the CD, CD-ROM. The CD, yeah. Yeah. And which opened up a whole bunch of new possibilities. Yeah. And this is where they tried to do the um, TV show or film video game hybrid. Yeah. A famous example is Night Trap, where they actually had mm-hmm. filmed actors and actresses in these scenarios and you you were like playing it was like a it was like playing a movie i mean we probably all feel that way now i when i play fucking god of war the recent one i i feel like i'm playing a movie but this was literally like you know you get to decide the actions of the characters kind of gaming interaction it wasn't like you actually played as the characters you would just see them kind of play out a story and you got to pick what happens to them and um and so but yeah like buck said this is when we saw a bit of a sea change but it wasn't 
fully realized obviously there was a lot of uh missteps a lot of things didn't land they had obviously 32 channels to work work with with audio and i could only really think of really one standout during this time and that was a pc game that was diablo yeah i was gonna say diablo is probably the only one i can really think from it i did you ever play any any of these i had like a friend down the street that had yeah like a turbo graphics or whatever that fucking console I, was and i that played was, a that 3DO. Still been 16 that may have been 16 bit no i played a th- i've played a 3do at dillard's <laughs> Hell, they used you to think? have like an electronic section oh yeah I, had, I, I i loved that as a kid you'd go to walmart or wherever and they'd have like a little Sears. console set up and you could play yeah, yeah. and there would usually be a line and some yeah you'd play like that was like my parents way of babysitting me when they wanted to go do something they're like like, we'll be right back we're gonna go shop go play turok go play turok for 45 minutes novo uh, play this for a while and then we'll be back later no but i I think the 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 whole thing was that the technology needed to mature a bit and i think a lot of these they didn't know what to do with it i think well they were focusing on like night trap they didn't know yeah exactly they didn't know they thought that well people already like movies let's make these movies interactive but people just because you can do video games you know, yeah, just still. because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. I mean, it's like, <laughs> well, like, oh, yeah, a, we could put, you know, quick time movies and, and games. Yeah, it really. Well, know. here's a perfect example of um, when things got more, you know, when everything went 3D and in our next generation, people still wanted, had such a craving for 2D scrollers. That's why mm-hmm. we had the new Super Mario Brothers in generations like the Wii and stuff. We just wanted, we just wanted our Super Mario Brothers game to be simple. It's, I want to go from left to right and finish the level. Yeah, people wanted skill. They didn't want immersion. Well, no, we still want immersion. We just, you know, I've always said it this way. At the end of the day, it's supposed to be a game. When I don't want to play an interactive movie, I'll just go see a movie. Let's dive right in into the fourth generation. So this is the 16 or 64 bit era. So obviously the famous consoles. Yeah. The famous consoles versus the Nintendo 64 and 64 and the PlayStation. Um, This was, I think, a turning point. Again, just to give you a little context, we were in the 80s previously and now we're starting to step into the early 90s this is about 1993 1994 and this era lasts about to the year 2000 and uh but i think this was a turning point because we were starting to see not only an evolution in the hardware the capabilities the channels of what could be produced with this music but also the um approach I mm-hmm. think I think a gold standard is um, Final Fantasy VII, and specifically the very very last track, "One Winged Angel," which uh, mm-hmm. used um, coincidentally a um, something on the opposite end of the uh, classical spectrum, and that is Jimi Hendrix's "Purple Haze." Purple Haze, yeah. That's where they got the the rhythm section for the first part of the piece, the first act. But we also saw it. We also saw it in Super Mario sixty four, and just I mean, honestly, oh, since yeah. these the eight bit, sixteen bit, and of course, um, thirty two and sixty four bit eras, just Square or SquareSoft at the time was just killing it with their games and their production values and standards, and especially with music. Well, and then this was the era too. You started seeing, um, especially if we're talking about Final Fantasy you started seeing recorded songs with lyrics um, yeah, with audio with vocal because you, you we I had a hundred channels yeah. of sound that's 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 the just to give everyone uh keeping score at home yeah so uh let's let's go back to uh i believe it was 96 97 ish yeah yeah it was 97 uh young 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 t-buck uh 
got a hold of a Nintendo 64. Ooh. Ooh. That was his first one. And okay. what blew me away more than anything was being able to play Shadows of the Empire. Okay. Okay. With actual Star Wars music, symphonic John Williams music playing in the background. I actually made an a orchestra note about that. With a terrible, terrible, terrible bit rate. But <laughs> oh my God, that blew me away. And and so, okay, so now you're, you're starting to see you were being able to pull in other things uh, from... You could you could do orchestral. Uh, another one. I'm sticking with rare on on this one on the Nintendo 64. Goldeneye, amazing oh, yeah. soundtrack. Goldeneye and Perfect Dark as well. Okay, um, I never played uh, Perfect the spiritual Dark. successor. Well, fun fact to, about uh, Novo: never played Perfect Dark. Oh, it's 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 the spiritual it's like successor. A, I was I was about uh, to say that spiritual yeah. successor, right? Yeah, yeah. There there were some issues with licensing at that point. Actually, that's we should talk about that because this was the yeah. birth of uh, seeing the what we see now in the industry, which is uh, two sides of the same coin. And what I mean by that is we had original music made for the game, and then we had mm-hmm. streaming yeah. uh, formats that could license music, kind of like the John Williams example. Yeah. And I think that I actually I think the gold standard for the licensed music is Tony Hawk Pro Tony Skater. Hawk Pro Skater. Yeah. And uh, and honestly, GTA Grand Theft Auto, they, you know, all those little radio stations and stuff. Yeah. They, oh, are you uh, talking about the original PC and PlayStation versions like the, uh, the, the GTA three was, I think, the first ones that really yeah, that implement was, uh, radio stations and everything like that. They had them in, in the overhead the early GTA. Oh, did, okay, I didn't. I didn't yeah, really but, get into the series. But they weren't really. They, no, but they weren't licensed music. It was more like in my versions of of actual yeah, licensed music. Yeah. But they made it. It was like original music to sound like licensed music. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, but but I mean, it's still. I mean, yeah, you were starting to see this like licensed music, and then also so actual like, pop hits of the time, or rock yeah. hits, or pop rock hits, <laughs> or pop ex- punk hits. That was popular I would say in the ex- 90s. especially towards the end of this generation, you started seeing actual symphonic orchestral music being recorded. Go back to Final Fantasy. Yeah, yeah. If we go back to Final Fantasy, my fi- my favorite Seven, Final eight, Fantasy, nine. which is nine, especially kind of utilized that as well. Oh, absolutely. We're, we're also seeing the birth of the interactive music games. Yeah. Dance Dance Revolution. You know, it was years before, you know, Guitar Hero and all that shit. But that was the that was the birth was this kind of closer to the end of the generation, closer to yeah. 2000s. And um, LucasArts, of course, was no no surprise. It pioneered a lot of this interactive music techniques with their uh, systems, with a variety of their software systems like iMuse and things like that. And it was incredible to see these applications and uh, that could use these special effects in real time to stream audio. Lucas, uh, it, Buck had a look on his face like he's about to, he's like he's he's about to gush. No, I just over some I love shit. I love uh, Lucasfilm, old school Lucasfilm and Lucas Arts and all these things. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get it come and make it come back a little bit with Lucas Games, but just all the amazing um, things that people attached to Lucasfilm have created not only industrial lighted magic, but Photoshop. I mean, all these like things that we use today. I mean, all this technology stuff they created so much, and it's just a shame that Disney shut Lucas Arts itself, the studio, down because they did so many. They made great games, but they also were really good about licensing games, especially like bioware for knights of the old republic another great soundtrack in that as well star wars music and also its own composed music as well so yeah notable standouts from this era as already stated is tony hawk pro skater 
Grand Theft Auto, Super Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, of course, Final Fantasy 7, uh, oh, Doom. Yeah. We forget that Doom was during this era, and they... Yeah. And um, Metal Gear Solid, we forget, is from this era. Nano Machines. And that leads us to the fifth generation, uh, starting in 2000, 2001, and this is with consoles... PlayStation 2, Xbox, and GameCube. I feel like this is when video games became blockbusters this generation. Yeah, like the the birth of the AAA, would you say? Yeah, I I would say, yeah, especially like with PlayStation 2, Xbox as well, but the one game... Before Nintendo Switch, it was... um, Or before the Nintendo Switch came along, the PlayStation 2 was the best-selling console of all time. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, everybody had one. And it was mainly because of one thing. Uh, I, I, I can guess this one. It's because you could play movies. Yeah, yeah. Had a DVD yeah. player. Most had a DVD in player most households, in. it was their their first or only. It was DVD like or player. yeah, or you had to have a separate one if you yeah. had a different console, right? But, but it was uh, coincidentally, it was the it was still the PC market that was ahead of the curve in the music. We love you, PC Master Race. Like we're not. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that um, I made a note about this because yes, the PC Master Race was still ahead of us in terms of video game music quality, and that was most notably seen uh, in this era with <laughs> Quake. Actually, yeah, Quake allowed you to um, not only you could um, since you could like play the game on a hard drive and put like a different piece of music into your CD-ROM. It was like kind of the first of its kind where you could play your own music, mm-hmm. you know, like your own little soundtrack to to the game, or of course listen to the the end game. You do that music. with Sim City as well. I oh, remember okay. doing oh, that. Oh god, Sim City! I didn't I think loved that would come City. up in this conversation, but fuck. Yeah, yeah. Sim, well, Sim City had like, especially Sim City three thousand had this great like jazz the soundtrack on it. But yeah, you could you could put in your own wave files or CD files to listen to your own music. Another another great one in PC in this generation too was Civilization, especially Civilization Four had this great symphonic track uh, utilizing um, actual scores had had them re-recorded from you know early on early music using uh, one of the first ever songs we think we ever found from the Greek. Um, really I can't remember the name of it yeah and then all the way to you know john adams the composer um and uh going into more of a, a modern modern uh symphonic sound uh yeah so the music was clearly getting more sophisticated and they were even adding tone and atmosphere to the game now more mm-hmm. like like we've never seen before and this was a most notable with horror titles um Ooh, yeah it wasn't so it was yeah the music wasn't just in the background like it used to be it was creating that immersive experience mm-hmm. and um of course silent hill 2 and 3 did this to amazing effect resident evil franchise this is where we Omni saw Musha, Final Fantasy 10 warlords on emotion oh yeah oh god i love that i still I actually own that game still to this day yeah it's, I have that, it that that archive. was oh that that's like late like two in the morning got the lights down. well i i i grew up with um uh oh god what are they called now they, they, they gave it a genre name i forgot i'm I'm, draw, I'm blanking out you know just not not your beat-em-ups but just your hack and slash there we go yeah like hack i love just a good hack show. and slash dynasty warriors do you remember that game Did i, you ever I actually game never games? got into the dynasty warriors dynasty warriors is like the biggest like button mash 
smashing games. And that's hack all that slash. company created. Hack and well, slash. Well, that's what God of, God of War was uh, initially. You know, the oh, the original, God of War was, like, the yeah, original the originals three? were just hack and slash. It was a button masher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with quick time events and everything. It's so great to see the evolution and... now, but man, it's, I oh mean, it God. was, but like I said, I, I like a good hack and slash. I don't care if it's fun. It's fun. Right. Uh, other, other notable, uh, hits at this time, uh, GTA San Andreas specifically and, uh, world of oh, Warcraft. Man. Well, even I would say vice city, I would put in there too. Cause GTA Buck 3 likes this episode. Cause he's going through a nostalgic trip. Yeah. GTA it is, it is 3 didn't really have any, stuff. but like, Oh my gosh, vice city. When we first played it, I swear to God, that's what got kids into like thriller. You think so? <laughs> oh yeah, some of the some of that music. I mean, my I had friends that were like buying the Thriller CD back in back in the Prairie Lands of You're where talking I about grew MJ's up. Thriller, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The girl, one of the greatest albums of all I was, time. I was trying. I, I, was own, trying I own to a vinyl Thriller. Did you know I, that? I have one too. Yeah. yeah. We both have. Oh, like I get. I, I have can't off brag. the wall as well. Oh, I don't have off the wall. You son of a bitch. Yeah, that I got that from my <laughs> my aunt. She. Oh, she now I her. want it. Now I want yeah. it. I actually I haven't was... even hooked up. Here's a little T Buck tangent corner. I haven't even hooked up my turntable. I have a turntable, like an old school one, and I just I keep putting it off. I need to buy new tubes, honestly, for it. And are you um, talking about your amp? You need new tubes or you, for your turntable? Yeah. You probably need. If no, 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 yeah, yeah. Sorry, I need for my amp. I need new. Yeah. new tubes and i want to get some old school speakers i mean i can buy any old speakers right but i want some yeah. like tall boys you know i have um, i have the original boston acoustics oh god you've I seen them you. before I hate your gut yeah well that, this is have. from my dad them. yeah you played like dark oh the the a100s yeah yeah the, and they they still bump and uh um, oh, i i yeah. remember i reconed there's nothing there's nothing as good as vinyl i hate to be mr music snob again Mr. Pretentious, you know, audiophile, but the fidelity of vinyl is I've never seen. I'm sorry, MP3s, but you can go fuck yourself. It's all well, it, it's it's compression. That's a thing. well, yeah, and yeah. It, that's that's it's why. compression MP3s versus pure waveform. Badly compressed. And you can have a turntable and it cannot sound good. You really have. Th that's the thing about analog. Everything is that it's all based on the components that you have and you can't skimp out even on yeah. the cables. You yeah. can't skimp out. On you have quality. to be very uh, cognizant of of all the puzzle pieces and yeah. how they come together to make the work of art that is music. You just can't do the little squares. It's got to be the full waveform. <laughs> That's right. Amen. Amen. We're moving on to 2006 with the sixth generation. That's PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and Wii. And we saw another sea change because we saw systems supported, or we saw systems supporting Dolby digital software, sampling and playback rates of 16 bits at 48 kilohertz. Codex streaming and the potential of 256 audio simultaneous channels the playstation 3 for instance handles multiple types of surround sound technology including adobe true hs and dts hd master audio with up to 7.1 channels and with sampling rates up to 192 kilohertz so it allowed for custom soundtracks of course synchronized music like we never seen before and, and the biggest standouts in my humble opinion book please add if you have any super mario galaxy portal and dark souls i would also throw in here and this is and I call this my lost generation because when. Think so? Well, no. The reason yeah, I call no, this I from, agree with that. 
well no for me partic- okay. in particular Personal. but i do think overall for me um i didn't play a lot because i was in college at the time in in grad school and i purposely did not buy a ps3 or a xbox 360 because oh I yeah i remember that because remember we talked this? we talked uh metal gear solid 4 you, you would have and to I talk kept, me through it yeah yeah I, I kept saying it. i kept saying just go you buy gotta one. get one go get one and i will send you i already own the game i'll just mail you the game you don't have to and buy it's like, it i gotta get i gotta get through grad school and yeah sacrifices so, had to be made kids out there kids one kiddos, thing that you should not kids. do when you finish your thesis defense is tell your girlfriend at the time that you're just going to sit at home for two weeks and just try to catch up on every video game that you've lost <laughs> because our relationship is not, not going to help the relationship <laughs> uh no um so that's what i did no but if if we're talking about it's examples okay. i would he didn't say need her anyways i remember her yeah I'm, it's okay she's she's no names no names are needed she's but. she's living her best life now i'm gonna throw this out here i'm gonna say uh red dead redemption oh okay um, yeah that is a good one and, yeah and red dead 2 later on that's that's more recent yeah, obviously but they had like the a generation. very good soundtrack especially when you go into mexico for the first time there's actually a song that plays in the background Ooh. but one thing i i would want to say about this generation what we started seeing too is um a lot of uh video games using um artificial intelligence to kind of change sounds or change different types of uh like playlist depending on what type of situation situation you were in video games at the time like yeah. with your when you're a fight or like you're kind of crawling around uh you start seeing a lot of games kind of change um their musical tone yeah there was a lot of uh forethought into this and and another oh uh very uh at the end of the generation two two games bioshock infinite which utilized amazingly modern pop songs as like old timey music which was brilliant and then um the last of us <laughs> well the last of us is in actually in this in the next generation i no, didn't put that it, on the no list. it came it came out in the ps3 actually but it, it didn't come out until 2013 very yeah it was the very end it was the, so it was, it was the, last, the seventh like, it was the last release and then they released okay. it on the ps4 Sorry. so it was like the so with my uh made-up chronology it's still in the seventh <laughs> generation but it did come out the for video PS3. game history but it did come out at the end of the playstation yeah, sorry sorry to be a st- sorry to be a stickler no 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 no. i like it's just it. like no, no, the no, last one the the last of us two came out kind of at the end of the ps4 yeah that's a good point okay touche touche my friend that yeah. uh, that leads us into the seventh generation 2013 where we saw the playstation 4 xbox one and wii u and what's great about this era is we saw fully realized full orchestra pieces that were recorded for these games um but what what was a lot of fun for me when i was doing the research for this episode is remember this was during that uh indie game boom so we saw a renaissance for that old 8 and 16 bit chip tune Mm -hmm. kind of sound uh so there was this yeah, everywhere. So we saw this dichotomy of these incredible Jesus fucking Christ. Um, as much as I didn't like the actual game, the music did stand out to me. And that game is Horizon Zero Dawn. Didn't very didn't really care for the game or the story. Oh, you didn't? No, I didn't. I, I actually uh, like not it. that it's yeah, not that it's bad. You know, I just um, I didn't. It just wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, sure. Like my no, wife sure. loved it, um, and I. The only thing that really stuck with me was the music. Especially the map music. Remember that, mm-hmm. like, it oh, was yeah. like a, a a a vocal choir or something like that. 
Um, yeah. But it was so on that end. So the full orchestras, like the four. That game full takes orchestral. place in my backyard, by the way. Oh, does it? Yeah. Basically, what do you mean by that? It takes place like in Denver. Basically. Oh, okay. It's like, <laughs> oh, uh, I, I thought you meant your literal backyard. Kind of. Yeah. I thought you thought uh, this. I was like, a, this is what it's that mile high. Yeah. Hold, hold on, Buck. <laughs> this is what popped in my head. I thought you were trying to tell me and us. That there was like a microcosm of a of a world going on in your backyard. Oh yeah, like, like a I thought universe like you had like an universe. infestation of yeah. like animals and all this shit. And had, I don't know uh, where the uh, mechanical animals would come involved, but well, I thought you were trying no, to tell us something. I was like, no, oh, is this I, a cry I, for help? No, like, it was happening? that was the weirdest thing when I was so this. <laughs> When I lived in Arizona playing Red Dead Redemption, because I was like, oh, this is like playing in my backyard. Another one was like Horizon Zero Dawn. Or, Horizon Zero Dawn? Yeah. 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 You basically are playing in the American West in the future. Yeah. I liked everything. I liked all of it on paper. Like if it was a book or something or a movie, I would watch in a heartbeat. I loved playing as this badass chick. I loved playing. Uh, I loved the idea Alloy? of it. Is that I liked Alloy? Alloy. Yeah. Alloy. Alloy or whatever it is. Yeah. I loved playing as her. I liked her. Um, I liked her character. Just I liked all the characters, but there was something about the game when I got into it. I just, <laughs> I just, it, it's one of those, it was like a race world. to the finish. I just wanted to finish it. I was like, eh. well, I, I, th- I call it the uh, Assassin's Creed game it's it's like one of those open world games where you have like a lot of repetition like yeah i think maybe that that may have been the problem i was just so already yeah i was already burnt out on this style of open world games this was i think my particular problem with it but uh other other stand standouts of course uh we already talked about the last of us which was technically end of the sixth generation early seventh generation from my chronology not the home console market doom 2016 overwatch talk about Mario. badass soundtrack oh my god i love that i use that soundtrack. still to work out both both uh games and uh mick uh what's his name uh i don't know off the top of my head i can see his face in my head because i saw him like perform at the uh vgas video game awards mick gordon mick gordon he did uh he also did the uh soundtracks i think for um not only that but i think he also had his hand in wolfenstein the oh okay which i love those games um but yeah oh man that doom soundtrack just made you feel like you could go kick somebody's ass oh you're a demon slayer right i mean you rip and tear the demon slayer like rip and uh, tear yeah uh and then um last but but not least probably saved the best for last super mario odyssey oh my god was an incredible incredible work of art not only in gameplay game design but the music was astounding talk about another game that just made was emotional um yeah i felt it was like a celebration of our childhood i played like like very rarely do i find myself so immersed into uh, and almost addicted in playing a game that i find that i go into the you know the plus 200 hour 300 hour type of gameplay times and and odyssey was one of those for me that and uh, breath of the wild even though there wasn't that much it was very ambient and kind subtle on the background um <laughs> and it, repetitive like it, it kind of i did i did like the temple oh, that music. Wah, wah, I get, oh the music yeah, yeah the little i did like the stuff. temple music it was it was kind of this ambient yeah it's very minimalistic like spacey yeah, minimalistic oh but i loved going into the castle at the end oh my god that was so fun because it was like flashbacks it was just like they go they start playing like the actual dungeon music um from all the old zelda games and stuff like that it was amazing 
<laughs> and um, this is also a time when uh, they did, you know, I feel like the video game industry is slowly turning into the movie industry in terms of scope and things like that. And it's already and mostly, exceeding it in some ways. Yeah, def- I guess I mean it more in, in, in storytelling, t- storytelling. But business wise, we're we're seeing it, you know, commissions, you know, like we've never seen before, like yeah. asking bands and musicians, please make music for our game so they yeah. can, you know, with Death Stranding, they had churches, you know, commissioned. Oh, yeah, they have like the a game. song for it. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Like stuff like that. We just we usually saw in the movie business where they would uh, really much more in the 90s. We love soundtracks like, you know, Hackers and Romeo and Juliet and Fight Club and all that stuff. And we just don't see it as much anymore. But the, the video game market is, is is kind of pushing that. And then and then on the other end of that spectrum is the problems with expiring music rights, especially oh, yeah. when they when they license music like the, the Tony Hawk pro skaters of the world kind of games. Uh, remember, they have there's usually a limit to these kind of contracts. And if they have if they do reissues or remasters, things like that, they have to re they have to get the rights again for the game, even though the game could last forever. But it's contained within that game, whereas especially it gets complicated with streaming. Now, when you think of Steam and you think of uh, how we download games more now than ever uh, and how um, that marketplace is dramatically different than the hard hard copy game that is is kind of like a little uh, time capsule, if you, if you will. Yeah. That's why people collect games, right? Well, yeah, and it's, I mean, you just brought up a good point. With the Tony Hawk 1, one and 2 remakes, and then um, the, uh, what was it called? The Definitive of, uh, edition, edition of uh, yeah, God. GTA, which was just a cluster uh, fuck on its own. Yeah, they had, the, a lot of songs were missing. Yeah. A ton. And so now we're getting into this point where, yeah, I mean, it is almost just as big or even bigger uh, of a medium, you know, and it, it makes a lot of money and a lot of people. I, I saw you wrote something down. I, I won't spoil it yet, but you brought up a, 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 a topic that's kind of hot lately of uh oh the future of gaming the future of gaming yeah uh before we get there let's talk about the most recent uh generation we can't talk a ton about this because we're still living in it right now and that's the eighth generation so playstation 5 xbox and we already talked we already touched on um the nintendo switch but obviously we're still living in the air that is the nintendo switch it's kind of be it's a 7.5 7.5 okay Seven point. Well, that's a good way to put it. Uh, so I'm just going to go straight into the notable standouts. Uh, and that is a game I'm playing right now called Deathloop, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Doom Eternal, The Last of Us 2, Resident Evil 2 Remake, Resident Evil Village, Ghosts of Tsushima, and my personal recent favorite, Metroid Dread. I haven't played it yet. Oh, my God. You have a Switch, though, right? Yeah, but um, I'm going through nostalgia corner. Nostalgia kick. Is that why? Yeah. So, uh, all you beautiful people out there listening, this was Buck's idea for this episode. Is this what? Is this why it came to you? Are you going through your well, uh, my going nephew, back to the classics? My nephew got a switch and um, for Christmas, and I was showing him all these old games and stuff like that. And I Hell was yeah. like, "Yeah, he's those like, eight, he goes, I want to play Fortnite," and I go, "No, you will not. Let's play Mario Kart for." and that is he loves it i have never seen the the his favorite game right now and he had don't people out there he he has brand new games don't don't worry about that one of his (laughs) favorite games right now is pac-man oh well that is that's you can't uh, who needs to recreate the wheel you know that's perfect gameplay 
Um, and Fortnite, I'm glad you brought that up because that is in uh, that is indeed the future. The, the future is um, concepts like the metaverse, uh, living more or uh, having our entertainment within our entertainment. Yeah, so, having Mark Zuckerberg uh, in your living room. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, or seeing in-game concerts in gaming worlds like Fortnite. Ariana Grande had one. Yeah, I can. Uh, I could. I, I remember seeing the little animated Ariana Grande with her long like hair yeah. bob thing. Um, so then we have to talk about um, the most important thing to wrap this subject up is legacy. Uh, it's not only um, its own medium, but it's fascinating to see how it's expanded into other other mediums. And uh, I touched about this a little bit, but one of my favorite things to do and see with video game music is when they're rearranged with full orchestras. I think mm-hmm. the um, symphonic renditions of these pieces are spellbinding, oh, especially yeah. like like Square's 1990s hits like Final Fantasy VI, IV, VII, uh, VIII, uh, Chrono Trigger, Xenogears, Chrono Cross. I mean, uh, Nobu, I know you're a big fan of the show. If you ever want to come on with the Black Mages, do a little art of the beholder um concert for us we would really appreciate that you know just give us a ring and uh we're jingle on the jangle (laughs) and we're seeing bands recreate with very sophisticated pedals and things like this creating chip tune um full pieces that can be played live and sound just like those 8-bit 16-bit kind of games and that has evolved into um, a bit pop and nintendo core things like that and we're seeing colleges now dedicating full curriculums to vgm and we're seeing uh like i said bands that emulate the sounds of with live instrumentations the gold standard to me is called anamanaguchi that's uh, a band that i saw like years ago and i was like oh my god they they captured the sound of chiptune with live instruments and if you ever want to study this for a living buck you would become a ludo musicologist that's the name that they've given themselves i'm going back to school (laughs) so let's bring it on home buck why is vgm video game music so important to us the art community and everyone in between. For us, I think it's more nostalgia more than anything. But at the same time, it has been influential. Artists like Flying Lotus said a lot of his music is he was trying to emulate the video game music, especially his earlier stuff. He was trying to emulate video game music. Like you said, there's musicians now that have it uh, or that that create, you know, chiptune songs. Uh, they're trying to do it. But overall, I think it has been more influential uh, as time has gone on, not just for us, but our, as our generation is growing up, we we know that influence and we see that. So um, the fact that it's becoming more mainstream, full symphonies are actually being involved just like they would in music. I think that's great because it gives them more opportunities. It builds out a whole, let's say, industry, musical industry. So it's it's very important just with how big video games are now. So just the evolution of it from going from having... And there's a whole market just dedicated to you buying the soundtrack for the game. Oh, yeah, that that's what I... Yeah, that's a perfect point. Just like for film, you can get yeah. video game soundtracks now. So it's amazing. Still, I think the GOAT right now is God of War. I just think that's, that's <laughs> you cannot beat that that game uh, with its music. So, but yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. It's it's seeing the evolution in the past thirty years. Is and we and and incredible. we can't wait uh, for what's to come. The future that uh, is still the metaverse. So thank you guys Having for listening. Zuckerberg stare at you <laughs> until you put on your Oculus. <laughs> 
Exactly. And thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you. And that is the history that is video game music from top to bottom. We appreciate you listening, of course. But before we go, of course, you know, we have a little extra for you, a little cherry on top, a little icing for that cake with what we call the gem of the week. If you're new to our show here and you don't know what the gem of the week is, it's essentially something we like to talk about here at the end of our shows that doesn't always quite fit into the main scheme of the episode, but it's been on our radar in the last day, last week, last month, and we got to give it to you so you guys can dig deeper. I have uh, two, uh, but I'm going to give you the floor first. Oh, you are. So, Buck, give us your, what are you into lately? What am I into lately? It was not necessarily something I'm into lately, but I wanted to give more of a shout out. Oh, give us the shout out. When I texted you and sent you this, I was just like going through a lot of his stuff but uh it's a guy named banjo guy ollie uh his uh youtube handle is bg bg ollie but just uh if you're looking for him just search for super mario 3 and theme and his rendition of it that he did himself is beautiful um that's the one i said that it it brought it brought kind of a tear to my eye okay um so you find a lot of happy tear i feel like when you say yeah yeah it's not a sad tear this is like a this is like you're you're having flashbacks of your childhood yeah kind of a tear. yeah so so like but there's a lot of these artists out there that do uh covers or recreations of video game music so that's just one of them but like check it out it's kind of like a if you want to go down a youtube rabbit hole one night <laughs> uh check it out there's there's a guy that does uh like all the sonic uh theme songs and acapella i um my one of two yeah gems is my favorite u2 music cover artist that does all well i think he does more than just video game themes and video game famous pieces but i grew up not grew up for like for years for like a decade i would like kind of gravitate towards this guy's channel so i'm going to give him a shout out and he goes by the moniker family jewels and jewels is like j u l e s 7 x and i i always found him to uh, have really well made not only arrangements of the original theme music but it's fun to, that he would make little these like cute little videos like pretty like like a music video of him performing them and he would do they was they were very impressive um, and so mine was definitely in the almost the exact same vein as yours, Buck. Um, and then my other gem is a movie I saw lately that's been a little controversial in the news lately. And I wanted Uh-oh. to do like a mini quick cut with you right now. I wanted my to do it with my wife, but I'm still slowly trying to convince her to do a show with me. It'll happen one day. And that's what I'll introduce TV Del Rio. That's my wife. TV Del Rio. That's her um that's her stage name. That's her stage name. It's TV Del Rio. Yeah. There's a there's a reason we call her TV Del Rio, but that'll come a little later. But me and TV Del Rio saw the last duel with Oh Matt yeah. Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Ben Damon. And Ben Affleck. And um I have to say this was across the boards on paper an excellent film. Uh great writing, great directing, great Acting, uh, the set, I really feel like the set pieces and the stage design and the costumes were there. It's own Ridley Scott special knocks, effect. Knocks, well, whatever it here's is, the knocks controversy. It out of the park here's and, and here's that. how we're going to do a little mini review of this. Remember, it bombed. 
It bombed on the box office. And I, as I was watching the movie, I became obsessed with the question, why? Why did this movie bomb at the box office? And there is a lot of, here's my, I'm going to give you my thoughts, and then I want to hear yours, is um, there's the obvious ones, the deep, deep cut reasons, uh, <laughs> the pandemic, one. Yeah. Number two, the other deep thing is audience uh, audiences have changed over the years. They're not their attention spans have been lowered. They don't want mm-hmm. the the slow want burn medieval movie. Yeah, they don't want the slow burn medieval pieces like me and Buck like. They want the loud popcorn eating, you know, eye candy fucking Marvel movies. And I get that they're entertaining too. Um, but on a very I I think there's a very superficial level to this. And I always yeah. joke about my mom being this. <laughs> the voice of uh the generation of this uh or of an older generation one and and then just the gen audience and i remember like home for the holidays and uh that came up you know something that we wanted to watch and she was like that no it looks stupid and i go why and she goes matt damon and that character ben affleck nah Nah, I'm good. <laughs> but they wrote it. <laughs> they wrote it and they put themselves on it. And so that's my superficial argument. So uh, Ridley Scott, I know you're a big fan of the show. I don't think it was the millennials. I know everyone likes to use that yeah. fucking excuse. And and this is, I'm sorry, sir. I, I love your work. But Mr. Scott, you're showing your age because it's not the millennials. We're kind of old now. It's the Gen mm-hmm. Zers. If you're going to complain, if you're going to complain about which... Uh, generation is doing this to your movie markets it's gen z's it's not us anymore uh but here's the thing is i do think it was miscast as much as they were excellent but here's the thing they were excellent in the film but like my mom they saw it they had a knee-jerk reaction they saw they've seen matt damon as fucking you know what's his name born and ben affleck as batman they they can't see these people in these roles it should have been now adam driver and the female lead they they perfectly looked like they belonged in this world but those two really stuck out and it was distracting i will say that through almost the whole film until until i kind of fell into the to the plot of the film here Here's here's what I'm what I'll say. Okay, uh, on that vein, Affleck and 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 uh, Damon did that to themselves. If they're not in anything that doesn't remotely have to do with Boston, they they <laughs> like they're a little out of place. <laughs> So you got to agree with me in a way. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting casting. One thing I, I did love was the, is the what really Scott does is he always knocks it out of the park with. Um, oh, visuals. it was excellent. I'm not saying it was. Well, no, not with film. movies. I, I think I'm he, trying I think to figure out why right it didn't why or why it did bomb. Why it wasn't well, successful. Well, and, and, I and I'm not saying that it, was a it, superficial part, not a well, deep well, part. No, and I'm not saying everything he's done lately has been good. I'm I'm saying shooting 500. What I'm saying, he visually <laughs> he does everything. He knocks everything out of the park with that stuff. Yeah, I thought it was good. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. I thought it was just good. No, I thought um, it was a, it was really solid. Yeah, like, we don't have filmmakers like this anymore that just have this huge pedigree of of work. I, I thought it was. And this might be controversial. I thought it was a little bit of an exploitation for the times. I think it was a sign of the time. I think they yeah. were trying to talk about things that are relevant now, but using this period piece to yeah, and, uh, bring that message across. And and before you you throw your you know you get your oh I can uh, hear the Twitter mob and, coming. Yeah. Yep, they're coming. I, I am when when it comes to uh, historical dramas, dramas I can't, yeah. 
I, I want things to be as accurate as possible. And, um, and, and, but it's hard to do something like this because what is out there is pretty vague uh, about this, but we do know that this did happen. Sure. Um, yeah, I would say, um, yeah, I agree with you on the audience thing. You know, I don't think it's, it's millennials. I think it's Gen Zers. And I think a lot of people just, it's 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 a niche audience now it's it's a uh, that want to sit through that stuff it's it's like blade runner 2049 a far <laughs> superior film than this I, i'm sorry yeah. but probably one of my favorite movies of all time now it is it is amazing it is everything that i wanted problem is is at it's 2049 minutes long <laughs> too long uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening again. If you like that, of course, you can follow us at all of our socials at at underscore Novo underscore day and day is D-E and at Novo Day Media. Or you can check out our products on NovoDayProductions.com. There you'll find things like the Entropy Sessions, Post Meridium, Adulteration, Cancel Culture Lotto, uh, and a lot more to come. We got a lot of things in the oven. Uh, maybe some photography. Wink book and um don't forget to like and subscribe follow and hit that notification bell we appreciate any comments rates and reviews as well we appreciate you and until next time be good to each other and as always good luck and god speed we love you art of the beholder is brought to you by novo day productions created and hosted by novo day and the novo day collective facebook.com slash novo day media at novo day media on twitter and instagram Music by A Company, facebook.com slash music 123 ACO on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J-E-S-T-U-S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.